You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is David Roark. On today's episode, Kyle Worley and I will talk with artist and author Mako Fujimara about culture care and the role of art in the Christian life. Then in our slow take segment, Jared Musgrove will join Kyle and me to discuss the new movie by Martin Scorsese, Silence. This is David Roark. I'm here with Kyle Worley, and we're joined by special guest Mako Fujimara. Mako is an author, artist, and speaker. He's written books such as Refractions, Culture Care, and most recently, Silence and Beauty. Some of his most famous art pieces include The Four Quartets, The Four Gospels, Golden Sea, and Silence. Mako was a presidential appointee to the National Council on the Arts from 2003 to 2009. He is the founder of the Fujimara Institute and now serves as the director of the Fuller Theological Seminary's Brim Center for Worship, Theology, and Arts. Thank you for coming on the show, Mako. Welcome. Thanks for uh, welcoming me into your community. Yeah, I would love to just start with a little bit of an introduction hearing from you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, when you came to faith, and uh, really kind of how you got to where you are now as an author and an artist. Well, thanks for that. Um, I, I was born in Boston and uh, spent my childhood um, uh, in uh, multiple settings. Uh, I, I went to Sweden after that and then uh, to Japan. Uh, spent grade school years in Japan and uh, came back from middle school and high school in New Jersey. So... Um, I have this very uh, bicultural upbringing um, and uh, bilingual, I suppose, and um, um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, um, but I found out later that on my mother's side, um, there were um, several key Christian uh, leaders, actually, um, who uh, were in Japan, and uh, which is unusual, and... Um, so I, I felt this uh, prayers of many generations um, of my life, and I came to faith. I realized that um, I needed Christ um, uh, when I was 27. I was a graduate student in Japan uh, studying this traditional curriculum uh, called Nihonga, Japanese-style paintings, um, using uh, really medieval materials uh, applied to my contemporary art, um, 16th and 17th century, uh, studying the arts there and encountered uh, hidden history of um, Christianity there as well. Around the same time that I was baptized, um, I recount uh, much of my journey um, in my new book, Silence and Beauty, as well as elsewhere, um, and I'm um, grateful for uh, this discovery of uh, spiritual reality and also the integration of that to to my art and my life. Mako, um, I've had the opportunity to see your work on multiple occasions. Um, I can remember ah. my first exposure to your work. Um, I was on a trip to New York in 2009, and I was wandering okay. through the Dylan Gallery, and I came upon yeah. your soliloquies exhibit. And uh, oh, yeah. I must have stared wow. at your painting, Joy, for 30 minutes, which probably doesn't sound like a long time for you because you thought, hey, I put a lot more time than 30 minutes into that work. But for a 20-year-old millennial is roughly equivalent to three days. Okay, 30, 30 minutes is about three days in, in, in that time. So um, I looked at it again this morning, and I started to cry like I did the first time that I saw it. And so maybe just tell me a little bit and, and tell our audience a little bit. How does that happen? Uh, tell us about the work that you wow. do, the style to the process. I know that um, you, you just uh, described a, mi- uh, a minute ago the Nahunga t- technique of trying to blend together some of these medieval stylings with contemporary art. Just tell, yeah. me, tell, me, uh, tell our audience a little bit about how does it happen? How does, how does somebody begin this work and then it, and it hangs in a gallery right. and then it moves upon somebody like a 20-year-old boy right. on a random vacation right. to New York? I mean just help us think <laughs> through that. Wow, thank you for that. Um, it's deeply encouraging knowing that much of what I do as an artist and knowing that 
communication is so difficult. We all know that as pastors and leaders, um, when you communicate, when you're able to communicate anything to anybody, you you kind of uh, it, it's always a miracle. And art brings that depth of that miracle or possibility um, into the world, uh, whether you're Christian or not. And this, um, but as a Christian, I think I believe that because we believe in the resurrection, because we believe that um, Good Friday and Holy Saturday can turn into Easter Sunday, uh, art can reflect that uh, transformation um, um, and even transfiguration of our lives uh, into the miraculous. Um, I, I, I almost uh, depend on it um, every time I paint or I write or um, I do anything. Um, I know that if we are able to communicate at any level, um, that it is by sheer grace and it's a miracle um, that we don't deserve. And I'm deeply humbled by that. The materials, as you mentioned, I use a particularly um, precious and uh, sacred to me. Um, and uh, my studio is a sacred space. And um, I try to be faithful and honor uh, God's presence through my work. And as far as the description of how that happens, I don't know, and I, I try not to figure it out. <laughs> um, it's kind of a intuitive integration. You know, we, we kind of assume in modern days that knowledge is information. Uh, knowledge is something you, you know, sit down to learn. But, you know, I think when you look at human cognitive development and human history, you find that knowledge is much deeper than that. It is, it is an integration of imagination and rational means. It's an integration of emotion with um, our, um, perception. Um, it, it's a way that uh, thinking through the eyes, through, through our ears, you know, through the touch, through our taste buds, um, into uh, what I uh, believe is a uh, intuitive base that uh, all rational knowledge flows out of. So what I'm saying is that it's an integrated uh, experience uh, as well as rational knowledge. It's both and. Um, and we, as Christians, we need to, I think, experience the wholeness of God's grace uh, in, in our creation and, and possibly breaking in on the new creation, too. Uh, because post-resurrection journey is one of God inviting us to partake in a feast that um, flows into even our broken uh, lives today. So I believe all of that, um, you know, uh, experience uh, can be uh, uh, that that the arts, uh, music, theater, you know, dance can uh, be a, a way to open up awareness of, of those things. You're kind of already hitting on this, Mako, but just kind of a, a real pointed question. As you talk about the integration of our faith and mm -hmm. the creation of art, what do, you, what do you see your personal role as when it comes to creating art and creating culture as a yeah. Christian? How would you describe that? Well, you, you first called into this sacred dance and you first don't know really what what that means, um, and you know many people think that well, if you're an artist, you know you sell your paintings and you make works that people can buy, and uh, but that's not really to me what art is about. Um, uh, art is about the indefinable. It's making the invisible visible. It's it's all these things that you cannot reduce to a marketplace or fads or fashion or what is popular or, you know, what is, uh, um, you know, even in my case, what is reviewed well or what is, you know, accepted by the mainstream or collectors or I, I try to, when, when I'm in my studio, it's the, the sacred encounter and it, it has nothing to do with the marketplace as, as much as I love my galleries and, you know, people I work with, that's totally secondary. Um, way, you know, below uh, what I am uh, 
kind of thing. So um, not that it's not important. It's just that in terms of what I think about when I'm creating, when I try to get at, I, I am trying to find uh, the, the sacred mystery of the universe in my paintings. And what I try to do is a bit of a mystery. I have very severe limitations. Um, I don't think I'm that gifted um, compared to others, but I have been gifted in a very uh, small slice of expression that I've cultivated and worked hard to cultivate over the years. And in, through that very limited means, um, as a broken human being, as a uh, limited person, I am trying to listen to to the music of the spirits, you know, the, the voice that exists um, from creation into new creation. And those things, you know, you can't really define or reduce into soundbites. I, I, I just um, think that the only way to do it is to actually create work, um, make work that has integrity of its own, that can speak on its own. Um, you know, it doesn't need to be justified by me or, you know, anybody else that it lives on its own. And I believe that's what you saw through the soliloquy joy painting. Uh, painting has um, had many responses like that, and it's now in Taipei uh, being shown there. But um, it, it's when, you know, I don't even know what I did right or, you know, how I made that painting. It just happened in a, in, in a daily um, act of creation uh, that is the ultimate way of uh, being faithful uh, for me uh, as an artist. Yeah. Mako, you've alluded to this a couple of times, but I think it would be helpful to explore um, – so you you said a couple of times here uh, that there there are some giftings that um, the Lord has in His gracious given you, but also that you've worked hard. I think that there is probably a common perception that artists kind of exist mm-hmm. on like a different plane. And so when somebody when somebody <laughs> right. when somebody encounters a a piece that moves them, whether it's in song or it's yeah. in dance or it's visual art of some kind, I think uh, one of the things that I've struggled with as as a kind of a participant or as an audience member uh, has been, uh, and that I feel among my my friends, my fellows, as we encounter these things is, well, okay, I could never do anything like that. And so th- this person exists on a different right. kind of register than I do. And so <laughs> right. uh, maybe, yeah. just, maybe just speak to a little bit of how um, that the creative giftings that you do have, however limited you believe yeah. that they might be, yeah. how you have tried right. to work hard. Because I think most people, and I think creatives in general, can move between polarities of like, well, I'm just not gifted, or I just got to work hard, and it, the gifting doesn't matter at all. Right. So maybe just speak right. to that right. a little bit in your own experience. Oh boy, yeah, that that's a um, question that every artist uh, wrestles with, and actually a question that is case by case, um, what, you know, what is our calling? I mean, it is, it is a very complex matrix of um, reality, and, and surely there's calling is, you know, you, you have to deal with your limitations and your gifts. Um, you know, everybody has uh, a zone of expression, um, whether you're an artist or not, you know, professional artist or not. Um, Everybody is an artist of the kingdom um, because God is an artist and uh, we well, were created to be like, Marco, like Marco, can, I, can I pause you right there? You said every, yeah. everybody is an artist for the kingdom. Now, I think if yeah. – I think I'm. I think I understand what you're saying, but I'm thinking about our audience. Yeah. They may go, "What? What do you mean? I'm an artist for the kingdom?" <laughs> may, yeah. may, and maybe yeah. just talk, talk a little bit about specifically, like, what do you mean by that? How how are we artists for the kingdom? Yeah. So when um, the Bible speaks um, of the story of um, the story of um, you know humanity and beyond, right? Uh, it begins by creation and ends in a new creation. Um, and what we tend to focus on, which we need to, um, is the brokenness, um, how we fall far short of that uh, glory of God uh, in Eden and, uh, and beyond. And, you know, in, in east of Eden, we, we are um, struggling to find that zone, um, 
uh, zone that once we knew um, was uh, our, our own connectedness with uh, this creator God, this love uh, that created the universe. Um, and we have to remember that God doesn't need any of this. God doesn't need us to, you know, prove that he exists. God doesn't need that uh, even creation uh, itself is, is an act of love. Uh, love is uh, go beyond um, what uh, utility or efficiency or function. Um, and and I, I say all that because I, I, I think we tend to fall into this um, false uh, dichotomy of creating, um, you know, as, as, as only as a, um, either as a self-expression or um, as um, this way to, uh, you know, of activism to prove to the world that there's injustice. Um, and I, I find, I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with either of those things, but uh, ultimately our creation, our own expression has to be connected with that love. And so when I say everybody's an artist of the kingdom, I'm talking about Jesus, of Nazareth, Yeshua, who came um, as um, a person who introduced or reintroduced and amplified what um, this Creator had given us in Eden, the promise that was uh, that we uh, forsook, and uh, um, you know um, the consequences were severe. Um, but Jesus came to show us that um, that this love, this God's love that created the universe, is once again incarnated and operating in our world. Um, and it's an incredible news um, to those of us who have been looking for that. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's literally the the only thing that, that will remove us from our Darwinian struggles of limited resource environments um, where we have to fight for our turf, where we have to defend our, you know, territories, where we fight the culture wars to, you know, have um, any sense of uh, meaning in, in the, especially in political spheres to public realities where we, um, you know, try to uh, uh, do what we can to uh, survive. Uh, Jesus showed us another way that this love, gratuitous, expansive, generative love um, that once created the universe, it, it can be um, immediate to our experience that, that this is a way that this is the way truth and life that we can uh, learn to love in the same way, in a radical, uh, self-giving fashion, and. That is the ultimate art of, of uh, God. Um, Jesus is not only a savior, but he's also a creator. Um, you know, uh, my pastor Tim Keller used to say that uh, you know we we need to, if you receive Christ as your savior, that that is a good start. But uh, we now receive we need to receive Christ as a creator, uh, and. Um, and it's precisely because God, the artist, wants to uh, recreate in us. Uh, he's already created a new creation in us, and we are to live in that abundance rather than, um, you know, believing that uh, only way out is fight and um, you know, survive this world of scarcity. So um, I don't know if that explains. No, that uh, was, it'll take more than that. But, no, that uh, was great. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's what I look at it. So if so, if we're all artists in the kingdom, um, I, I think yeah. probably as a visual artist yourself, you would say there we're all we're all artists in the kingdom. But there is a specific place for just beholding art, beholding beauty. Right. You would say right. that there's something that's going to happen in that encounter that's significant. So maybe maybe just speak to a minute of why should Christians care about art and maybe specifically 
visual art, since that's your discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it so? Yeah. Why, why is it important at all to the Christian life? Why would you tell somebody, hey, maybe give it a try to go and see visual art in the round to encounter mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. And, and this is why this is yeah. what I think it could it could help you. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Everybody has um, different zones of experience, and some people are more visual. I, I am highly visual. Um, some people, you know, um, have musical giftings, whether it be in playing or listening. Uh, some people go to cinema. Um, you know, my colleague here at um, Brent Center, Rob Johnston, just uh, came out a book called uh, God's Wider Presence, and he's, he's done this kind of a longitudinal study of people who are experiencing God in, in movies, and, and these are people who never enter into a church building. Um, and, you know, so the Holy Spirit is working in the margin. Um, you know, perhaps you experience God through wine, you know, through, you know, through dance, through experiences. So, so everybody has a different zone, and and, it, 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 you know, not everybody is uh, going to be um, drawn to visual art or the things that I do. But um, I, I would say that um, every person, um, because we have eyes <laughs> to see, and it's important to note that uh, our eyes are directly connected to our brain. Um, it is part of the brain, in fact. Um, and... So what we see is immediately goes into the back of the brain, the deepest recesses, and it gets processed um, outward into, uh, you know, everything else. So that's what I mean when, when there's integrated intuitive reality uh, operating, that uh, it's the deepest part of our knowledge space and that uh, all rational understanding flows out of that. Uh, we are processing uh, every time we open our eyes, we're processing uh, so much more than even the best computers today can analyze, so much more uh, information. And our brain is able to have the capacity to understand and immediately process. And um, unfortunately, what we've done is, you know, we, because of the need to survive, we learn to not see, to categorize our stimulus. So, you know, when... Uh, you know, this rust, rusted old truck is coming to you after it rained and um, you're looking at the uh, license plate and it's, it's so beautiful and and then, you know, um, the, your wife tells you to get out of the way you know, uh, because, because artists tend to focus on the beautiful even if it's dangerous um, and... Um, you know, we, we have the capacity to see, we, we learn not to just say, well, that's an old truck, it's dangerous, you know, get out of the way. Uh, we, we're kind of focused on the immediacy of that experience and beauty of that experience. And um, so artists are all like this in some ways. Um, so we don't fit into a normative category because we have experiences, deep experiences that that does not cannot be explained by the survival mode, um, and so you know I I would say it's that reality that breaks in when you see Van Gogh's uh, painting Starry Night, or you know when you when you uh, read Emily Dickinson's poems, or you know when you uh, see a film uh, like the most recent Silence that just came out, Martin Scorsese's masterpiece. Um, you're kind of taken into another world, another realm. And we don't know what to do with it sometimes. The greatest um, art uh, is not understood uh, in, in a time when the artist is alive. And, and that seems to be one of the qualities, you know, is that we don't see and uh, it takes time to see. Marco, you're talking about people de- being in different zones and having different experiences and education when it comes to art and even kind of saying maybe not all types of art are for everybody. But at the same time, I think that we would both agree that there is a place for fine arts and what some would call maybe highbrow art um, for the Christian. I think it's, it, it would be good for Christians to at least explore that world, even if they're not familiar with it. So what would you say yeah. to someone who 
is considering taking a trip to a local museum. Th- take the the Dallas yeah. Museum of Art, for example. Yeah. And I know sure. that a lot of people listening, when they think about going to a, a museum like that and, and going to look at art, they yeah. feel very intimidated. They feel very... Yeah. Um, yeah, just absolutely. kind of unsure of what to do. You know, do you just go look at something? Yeah. <laughs> do, I, do I need to stand here yeah. a few minutes so it looks like I know what I'm doing and do I yeah. move on? I think everyone's <laughs> everyone's very uncomfortable and vulnerable in that space because a lot of people just don't have that education and knowledge of how to yeah. approach that. Yeah. So what would be some just kind of general advice you would give to someone who you want to encourage sure. to kind of explore, especially the Christian, to, to explore yeah. that, that zone? Yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, Malcolm Gladwell uh, talks about the 10,000 hours of expertise. You know, in order to master anything, you have to spend time, uh, 10,000 hours of fading to get to that point. And um, we can talk about that is required for the artist, but I think it's also required for the viewer. Um, it takes a long time before we actually understand anything. Um, you know, and, and art uh, perhaps is one of the most complex. So it's going to take a long time before, uh, you know, if anybody is starting out uh, trying to understand contemporary art, know that there is um, these deeper realms of language um, that has been built up over the years. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we need to uh, take our time uh, looking uh, and actually seeing, not judging, but seeing and beholding. And then um, learn as much as you can. You know, these are fascinating stories of uh, artists um, and and uh, people who supported the arts, even though it's uh, sometimes a great risk, um, you know, and expression comes out of human, deep human experiences. Um, and you, you will find yourself conversing with um, uh, art and artists who have felt very much um, the same kind of um, uh, you know, depth of experience that you uh, are going through, perhaps the traumas that you've been through or you're in now. Um, these people have lived, um, you know, journeyed into that, and artists tend to be those people who kind of stay there and um, um, develop this deeper awareness of that um, and suffer for it sometimes. Um, And and yet they're willing to be vulnerable, uh, make that known. And so, you know, I mean, you talk about going to museums. Um, I have a, uh, I was part of a class that I was teaching here at Brem Center, and we took all of our students to Northern Simon Museum, which is a wonderful teaching museum here in uh, Pasadena. And um, we went through the medieval to the Renaissance, magnificent paintings of Rembrandt to, um, you know, on to uh, Van Gogh, to Monet, to, you know, Picasso, to, you know, contemporary times, right? And, and at the end of Northern Simon, there's a little uh, area, contemporary art area, um, with this white painting, uh, just square white painting uh, with lines. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I took the students in front of this painting. Uh, it's a painting by an artist named Agnes Martin. Agnes Martin uh, lived in New Mexico and uh, was one of, uh, to me, one of the most important artists of the 20th century. But, you know, it's, it's very esoteric. It's, it's hard to, like, even, like, most people will just walk past it uh, it's just white, you know. So <laughs> what, what, what does it mean, right? So I stood in this painting. I, I told the student, I said, you know, if I had to choose one painting out of this whole entire museum um, to own or to love uh, and cherish, it would be this painting. <laughs> and most of the students are just incredulous. They, they just said, you know, <laughs> I don't see anything in it. Um, and I expected that. Uh, one student um, was very bold and confided in me uh, afterwards that he thought I was absolutely crazy, you know, uh, this was some kind of a trick, you know, um, and um, and then, um, but he, he was a good writer, uh, he went back to the museum uh, two or three times, spending one hour every, uh, you know, uh, time he, he went, stood in front of it, this Agnes Martin white painting, and wrote this most beautiful piece. Um, 
uh, essay about what he saw. He, he began to see after a while, after a long, long while. And um, I, I mentioned that because I think if you're winning, um, you have these experiences. Um, and sometimes you need a guide. Um, maybe, maybe for, you know, if you're trying to understand an awful, I would say you definitely need a guide to, to help you to journey with. There are, there are artists in, in your midst. There are people in your midst who are highly trained. Um, but often exiled from the church. Uh, they may not be Christian um, if you're in the church, but um, um, that's okay. You know, ask them to uh, guide you, uh, to see through their eyes, uh, tell you what they see. Um, and then, you know, as we let go of our preconceptions and prejudgments, we, uh, we might be able to see as well and discover things that... Uh, you know, maybe even that person can't see, and uh, that, that's the beauty of it. It's a God made us all different, so we see different things. And yeah. A masterpiece of art um, is generative, so it invokes something in us, each one of us, in a different way, uh, every time. Um, and so we need to experience that first um, to um, really understand the power, power and uh, transformation that can happen when we allow ourselves that experience. Yeah. Mako, that is great advice. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have a really just kind of a simple, uh, maybe even pedantic yeah. for you, but maybe a good question, yeah. kind of fun question for us to end on here, which is mm-hmm. you, you've mentioned something about beholding and the Christian believes that there's a day coming when, you know, the asphalt's turned to gold and the water's made of crystal yeah. and we're going to behold the beauty of the Lord and there won't even need to be a sun yeah. because the glory will shine forth. And I just want to ask you as a visual artist, will there be paintings in heaven? Like, will we still, will we still see and uh-huh. behold and want to make paintings in heaven, and why? Yeah. Well, so theologian N.T. Wright you know, um, has written a book called Surprised by Hope, um, and it's such a transformational book for me because and I, I've been fortunate to um, correspond with him. I'll be with him at Calvin uh, Worship. Um, symposium uh, uh, next week, actually. And um, the answer to that is we don't know, but yes. <laughs> we don't know what form, but yes, absolutely yes. Uh, with capital letters, yes, yes, yes. Um, that somehow beauty and mercy are two ways that uh, the new creation, the creation, what N.T. Wright calls life after, life after that. You know, it's not, it's not the... Uh, this idea of going to heaven, but it is it's the idea that heaven comes down to earth and merges somehow, transfigures into this glorious new reality. Um, and somehow, for reasons we will not understand, this God of the universe who sent Jesus to die on the cross so we can have intimacy back with this creator is wanting and desiring for us to participate in creation of that world. We, we don't understand this at all. You know, it's, 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 it's the mystery of the gospel that um, Paul talks about. But, but you know, N.T. Wright says, you know, it, 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 it's all there. It's all written throughout scriptures uh, and taken in totality. It's the whole narrative of the journey of the chosen people. And now the Gentiles like us are included in that, um, and and we are invited to a feast that is uh, that is ongoing, um, you know, that is participatory even now uh, on this side of eternity. Because you know, for God, the Kairos time is collapsed. There's no um, sense that we we have to have uh, in, on, on, you know, this reality uh, that, that, you know, we have to live in linear time. Um, so, so something is breaking through now, and, and I think the arts are in some ways the way that God has uh, given us um, to take a glimpse into that um, the reality. Um, and, and I do believe that everything that we do, every conversation that we have, um, done in faith um, for the uh, sake of uh, honoring uh, the beauty of 
of God um, and the mercy and compassion that we bring into the world is eternal, and, and they, they are, in a sense, the building building blocks of what is to come. Um, mm. Somehow, you know, when we get to the outside, we see this, um, you know, as, as Tolkien wrote this wonderful little short story called Leaf by Niggle, um, you know, um, this, this man um, paints a leaf on the side of a post office, and he dies, and and he goes to heaven, and he finds that the, the, that one leaf has uh, resulted in creating this beautiful tree on the other side of eternity. And I think that, that's 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 a promise of the gospel for all of us um, that we are limited and we are broken. We uh, you know we can't even come close to our ideals. But in the art, when we paint that little leaf, um, God um, somehow says yes to that. And, and um, you know, that's the seed of the new creation. And, uh, and you know, and, and the other color, you know, the, the contrasting that is the, the opposite. Like, what if we didn't draw the leaf? You know, what if we didn't uh, believe that what we do, however small and however limited, matters to God? then that tree would not exist at all uh, in, in the days to come. So I, I, that's what I do every day. I paint that little leaf, and uh, I try to uh, be faithful as much as I can in my uh, limited ways. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm convinced, though, that, uh, I, that this connection is real uh, because I sense that. I sense that even before I was a Christian and, um, I was a, a child drawing. Uh, I sense this flow, uh, connectedness with, with um, this grace that I did not receive, I did not deserve. And, yeah, uh, yeah, we can and we can just attest to that, Mako, is that you that yeah. you have been faithful in that yeah. and the work that you've done and just your writing about art. I think that it, both of those things have both moved us and they both helped us to to see art. Um, in a way that I really do think reflects Christ. And, uh, yeah, so just really thankful for you to, to come on the show today and to have this conversation. We, we really, really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you, Marco. Well, thank you, and, and uh, I, I, I hope to be connected with your community somehow, you know, uh, in this virtual age. That, that's one of the good things about that, right, is <laughs> that we can be connected. And, um, uh, you know, I, I hope your journey... Uh, continues into this uh, new creation, and um, so I, I look forward to uh, see what that would uh, produce in the, in the future. Thank, Thank you, you, Marco. This is David Roark. I'm here with Jared Musgrove. Jared is a group's pastor at our Flower Mound campus, and I'm also here with Kyle Worley. He's a pastor at the Village Church Institute. Uh, we're going to have a conversation now about Martin Scorsese's new movie, Silence. Um, this is a movie that just hit uh, wide release in theaters, so most everyone listening should be able to see this in a theater in their area at this point. Uh, it's a very interesting film and worthy of discussion one, given Scorsese's background, um, most of the pe- most people probably don't know this, but Martin Scorsese, who's made movies like Goodfellas, Shutter Island, Departed, um, a lot of a lot of popular gangster movies, and a lot of violent and bloody movies as well. Um, but he, his background is actually that of the Catholic faith. He grew up as a devout Catholic, and even at one point thought about becoming a missionary and a priest. And instead, uh, obviously, went a different direction and ended up being a filmmaker. But uh, he's even said that his his Catholic faith, even though he calls himself a lapsed Catholic now, that it, it has been with him and will stay with him sort of forever. And it's something that he really won't be able to shake. And I think that if you do a deep dive of his movies, you can see that. Uh, maybe not on the surface when you think about the fact that some of his films uh, lead the list of movies with the most profanity in them and things like that. Um, and then the other interesting thing is just the source material. So this is uh, based on a 1966 novel by Shasuko Indo, and uh, this is a uh, 
Indo was a Catholic, a Japanese Catholic, and he wrote this story about these Jesuit priests uh, during the 17th century who go to Japan looking for this mentor who really was foundational in their faith and their upbringing and discipling them. And they've caught word that he has um, committed apostasy, that he has left the faith. And so this is just very troubling for them, and they feel a calling to go to Japan and kind of find out what happened, where he's at. Did he really lose his faith and, and just kind of exploring that. And, and that's the, the premise of the story. So there's a lot of things going on here that are, are fascinating, especially for the Christian audience. And just uh, g- getting started here, just curious, what you, both of you guys have seen the film. Jared, you've read the book as well. Kyle, have you read the book? I have not. Okay. Um, so initial... I'm the only one who did the assigned reading. Yes. It's true. <laughs> I'll get there eventually. I really do want to read this book. So Gold um, star. <laughs> what do you... I guess immediate reactions after seeing this movie. How did it make you feel? Did you like it? Um, yeah, just curious. So I encountered the book uh, a few years ago when I was doing a study of uh, pastors in fiction, uh, which as pastors, we don't get a lot of hero novels. We're usually supporting characters. Think like Les Mis or, or maybe even like Scarlet Letter or something along those lines. And so it was interesting to me to to read a book where the priest or the pastor or the religious figure was the main the main point, and it was, it stuck with me for a long time. Uh, the story really affected me. When I heard they were making a movie, I got very, very nervous about what they would do with the story or how they would handle certain aspects of it because it was really kind of formational for me. Uh, as thinking about my calling as a pastor and just the questions that come with being a Christian in certain contexts. And when I saw the film, and I don't say this lightly, it's one of the few films I think that matches the excellence of the novel. Uh, you know, Endo is considered one of Japan's great, you know, literary writers out of the 20th century. and Which is very fascinating, by the way, since he wrote about Jap- Japan's very dark history as it relates to yes. being a close country for Christianity mm-hmm. and the persecution of Christians. That's just a side note. Right, right. right. And, well, and so it's interesting because he wrote, he wrote Silence – as kind of a wrestle because he's Japanese. He studied in Europe. He heard um, he heard the teaching of Christ, perhaps even just the full gospel while he was there and spent the rest of his life, perhaps like Scorsese, wrestling with how do I – how do these two things work together? And that's really the wrestle of the movie. And I, I thought it was a wonderful film, one of the more affecting ones, and I know what's going to happen. Like, I'm sitting there, and it's like, I, I know the major plot beats. I know what certain characters' decisions they're going to make, and I found it absolutely compelling. Um, it was it was better than I could have hoped it would be as a, as a reader of the book. Yeah, I thought it was excellent. I feel like um, uh, one of the things that's important to keep in mind uh, with movies of this kind, this nature, are this is not a movie that you go to to enjoy yeah, that's right. And cinema is not purely for enjoyment. It can serve a role or a purpose of enjoyment. Some movies are created for that purpose. This is not a movie that's created for our enjoyment. That's right. It is a movie that is created to wash over you um, and to be a bit disruptive. And in the, if that was its intention, and I believe it was, that's how I felt. Uh, I was very disrupted by the movie. Um, it's forcing you to wrestle with things that are uh, intimately involved with what it means to be human, which is the crisis of faith, the question of God, the question of goodness in the midst of suffering. And so in that sense, the movie was <clears throat> disruptive to me. Yeah, and, I felt and, the same way. I was very, very haunted by this movie. And I think that that's probably the best word. I think Kyle even used that word when we were initially discussing it after he saw it. But, you know, it sticks with you. It's not a movie you walk away from with, oh, I know the, what this was about. Um, or it makes me feel a certain way. You kind of don't know how to feel. You kind of don't know what to say. And it takes time to wrestle with it and contemplate it and reflect on it, I think, to really – draw any kind of conclusions but uh, i loved it i thought it was a powerful film it was and i and i really wanted to have this conversation on the podcast today because i think that i would really encourage all christians to see this movie and it will be unfortunate in my opinion if because this film is made by martin scorsese and because Mm -hmm. it's not marketed in the way that some christian industry films you know are marketed you know like you don't see churches i think someone said on twitter you know you don't see churches renting out 
theaters for people to right. go watch silence mm-hmm. but i almost feel like we should and and mm-hmm. i think that that w- it would be difficult to do that because this is not your you know sort of on the nose christian evangelical movie but i think it is very very challenging and just makes us think about a lot of different things with our faith but then it's just a great movie too that the acting is really good the the storytelling is really good. It is a well-made movie right. across the board. So. Absolutely. And doing what art should do in that it is confronting us with questions that have no easy response. One of, one of the great things about the novel and the movie is that it presents a life of faith and life in general as just a series of almost impossible complexities. And is that not what we have to navigate as right. believers all the time? I mean, the the, the journey of Indo and, and maybe Scorsese, I'm not sure where he stands with the Lord, but isn't that the, the wrestle? Is like, how do I live out this truth in a culture that is not accepting of it, uh, in fact, is blatantly uh, persecuting it in the, in the state of the film? And so that's where I really enjoyed the film quite a bit. And, yeah. I, and I, it made me wrestle and it made me – made me think through, um, what would I do? And that was, that was Indo's question right. when he wrote the book. What would I do? Because he saw this uh, – he saw the, the Fumi-E, which in the story of the, of the book – or the – well, the book and the movie is this uh, image, this basically kind of uh, cast-iron-looking image of Jesus and the way that uh, the Japanese would make the Christians apostatize in the book and the film is to trample on the Fumi-E or the Fumi-E. And they would, by this trampling on the fumie, they would be basically apostatizing. It's called a formality. Um, but it was a very, a very affecting decision for many of them, including some characters in the movie. And so it puts you in that place. What would you do? What would you do? Right. And I, I feel like part of the genius of the questions, the concerns that the movie raises and that the story raises is that it embeds them in uh, a real genius cinematography and storytelling that Scorsese is able to accomplish. I've heard people compare um, some of the shots of the film to Caravaggio, the kind of realism that we saw mm. in that stylized painting. And so when we think about that, I think particularly when you talk about the Fumier I think particularly of the story or the story arc of Mokichi, who is one of the characters in the film that really struck me. And I think of the scene where after Mokichi has refused to kind of commit um, apostasy, um, he's left to hang on a cross while the waves crash down on him and he dies a martyr for the faith. And I think about that scene, the genius of that scene is that it forces you to reckon with the outcome of a perseverance in the faith of saying, like, I'm not going to turn away and reject Jesus Christ. I'm not going to do it. And it doesn't say, well, okay, well, this is what happens when you don't do that. It shows you Mm -hmm. what happens and what has happened to people and participants in the global present day church and in the historic church, right? So I think those are some of the things that really struck me was it talks about things that we often talk about, but it doesn't do them in just a way of saying like, this is what it is and this is what happens and these are the questions. It raises them within the context of this really brilliant story. Yes, it, it confronts you. You know, in what ways are you, as a as a viewer and and someone who's intaking this this story, in what ways are you tempted to act out of self preservation rather than making costly choices to to follow Christ and to put others above yourself? I mean, it it asks those base questions of what it means to live a life of faith after Christ. Let's flesh that out a little bit more because obviously this this is a movie about suffering and it's a movie about silence. I mean, that that's the title and the idea that. God being silent in the midst of suffering um, and in that wrestle. And we all know that wrestle. We've all been there, even if our suffering maybe feels more minute than, you know, the suffering that we see in this story. Um, we've all been there in dark, um, maybe times of depression, anxiety, where we don't, we don't feel the presence of the Lord. We don't see a sign from God or anything like that. And, and there's that silence, but, and you even see that in the, the style of this movie. So Scorsese normally makes very stylistic movies with a lot of music and just a lot of, uh, really artistic sort of stylized, uh, visuals and things like that. But this is a very slow movie. Um, it's a very minimalist movie in terms of its cinematography. It, it, it is a very silent say, movie. Would you say slow or thoughtful? I would say because I, I was engaged the entire yeah, time. There was slow, not a point where I thought, "Oh, I'm I'm uncomfortable and I kind of want to go get some popcorn or something." In fact, I didn't want to get up. 
Sure. No, like, I don't mean slow me in. in like the negative way that people, when they go mm-hmm. watch a movie and they mm-hmm. think it's boring, they say it's slow. But I, I'm saying contemplative. Yes. Um, the pace requires reflective, the pace requires forced concentration. It's not going to let you get away from what's happening in this scene right. 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 It's not quick hits. So in that, and him really using that style, this is a film about silence and suffering. What do you what do you guys think it communicates about that for the Christian, for the Christian life? What is what is this film saying about suffering exactly? I think you see Rodriguez grow as a as a believer and as a pastor or a priest in having to encounter this silence. You you see him when when he starts out um, much like all of us, I mean, he has is full of energy, um, perhaps just that naivete that comes with being younger and being very idealistic. And then you see his journey throughout the film really begin to challenge all of those most deeply held beliefs. And part of that is that he believes in a God who, who acts and who speaks. And what, what do you do when it seems that God is silent? That, that's one of the questions. And you have to wrestle with that as a believer and as a viewer of the film, and it just brings that up to the surface. You know, when has God seemed silent to you? How would you minister to someone who's maybe suffering in that kind of silence right now? What do you say? What do you not say? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think um, that is really the brilliance of um, the way that it explores suffering is that it's bold enough to ask a question that we often are too scared to ask, which is that sometimes when I suffer or I've undergone suffering, I have been met with the silence of God. And just in asking that question, it acknowledges something that far too often as Christians, when we approach the topic, we're afraid to address. But the Bible intimately weaves together suffering and silence. It's not like Scorsese or Indo are doing something that the Bible's not. That's their source text for exploring silence and suffering. You think about Psalm 22. Is there another passage that explores the weaving together of silence and suffering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? Where is your face? Where is your voice? And where does that get recycled at? In Jesus, who was led like a lamb to the, uh, led like a lamb to the slaughter, who was silent before his accusers, who then on the cross is met with what? The silence of God, the forsakenness of God. So I think as Christians, we are very afraid that we would be left alone and silent in our suffering. But there is a dimension to that. And this movie is unique in its exploration of suffering because it, it is at least bold enough to acknowledge what you often we will trivialize. Well, right. And, I, and that's why I think it's a super important film, especially for those who aren't believers that see this, because I think that – and I, I don't want to generalize too much here, but those who aren't very familiar, who didn't grow up in the faith, you know, aren't familiar with church and those sort of things, maybe mm-hmm. they flip on the TV here and there and they see a televangelist and they see the, a, a message that is quote-unquote Christian – but is really void of a understanding and a theology of suffering. It's more of a prosperity gospel where, you know, like if you are being obedient to God, if you are following God, then you won't suffer. You know, that's that message. And I think that it's very helpful in, in, in really saying, even though it may feel counterintuitive in some ways if you're trying to evangelize people, but, but no, this is a faith where there will be suffering. And maybe it doesn't tie a bow on that and doesn't give a lot of answers of the why. And I think that that's probably true of the Bible in many ways too. Hmm. But I think it, I love that it's real about that and it gives people a real depiction of the Christian faith, meaning that it's, it's complex, it's gritty, there will be suffering. And it's not this sort of, as Matt always says in his sermons, this sort of fairy dust religion that is is really just a joke. Yeah. Very few of us are going to be faced with the choices and the situations that Rodriguez is put in here. But we can learn something from this because we need to be able to have our imaginations challenged with that. Because we, while not facing maybe his challenges, we will face these challenges. And we have to ask these questions of ourselves before they become the question right in front of our face. You know, it's interesting, and this is a kind of a a side line of questioning here, but I've heard us make mention of Rodriguez a couple of times. When you watched the movie, did you resonate most with that character? Because I, as a, even as a pastor, I did not find myself really feeling like I was following Rodriguez. I felt much more like I was in the position of many of these Japanese Christians. Not that I've ever been in a position of that great Mm -hmm. persecution, but I found myself asking, what if I was? with those people. Right. That's where I felt a little bit more, and particularly I've made mention of him uh, a couple times here, Mokichi. I just felt like, oh my goodness, this is a man who is looking at his family, he's looking at his community, and he's looking at his Lord, and he's thinking, this is going to be deeply costly. And the 
the decisions he makes, the the choices he makes in the film, which are incredibly costly for him and his life, are choices that I found myself asking, I really don't know what I would do there. Yeah, and even in the character of Chichichiro, who is somewhat of a clown and brings some element of humor to this movie where there, it's, there's not a, dark a lot of humor. For yeah, sure. A dark humor yeah. for sure. But this is a guy who he, a few moments of levity. Yeah, exactly. He denies Christ over and over again, but keeps coming back, you know, and yeah. keeps wanting to confess right. his sins. And I'm kind of like, you know what? Like he is a clown and he is ridiculous and we're kind of supposed to see him that way. But then I think we're also supposed to see ourselves in him, or at least I did because I'm like, mm-hmm. that's me, you know, like, you know, I, yes. I, I confess my sins to the Lord, you know, and I talk to, you know, my community and I'm like, I want to get better in this area. I want to grow in this area. And what do I do? I fall right back into it and I struggle with it again. And that's sort of the Christian you life, betray, right? betray Christ all over again in yeah. a sense. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because you know you can run back and, you know, in, in the story of the film, it's like, well, I can just make confession for that. Or I made confession for that. Okay, I'm okay. Yeah. Right. You know, so how, how do I do it again? Let's step back just a little bit. We're talking specifically about suffering here. How do you guys feel like this film portrays the Christian faith, kind of big picture as a whole in terms of the, the bigger Christian themes? How does it portray those? What is it communicating in that sense? Well, there's, there's a lot there because it's dealing with the human experience of suffering, which is vast and as specific as it is person to person. But I think a couple of the things that we can take away is that um, if you go and see this film, um, particularly if you're a Protestant or an evangelical, um, the film is concerned about the spread of Roman Catholic Christianity across mm-hmm. Japan. Mm-hmm. So it, it may be in friction with some of our or your evangelical and Protestant sensibilities. You, you may see it and go, wow, look, there's a picture of Mary and they're really devoted to it and they really prize it. And they may go, well, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. But that, that would probably be missing the forest for the trees in this film uh, because the film is really just that account of, okay, what does it look like for there to be hope for the oppressed? What does it look like for there to be hope in the midst of trial and suffering? What does it mean to uh, have a faith that compels sacrifice or will endure persecution? And I think uh, the one thing that I would say uh, is that you will find yourself in the film – and uh, Wilkinson says this in a review of of the film over at Vox – she says, you'll find yourself as a Peter or a Judas in the film, right? Everybody in the film is either a Peter or a Judas, a faltering rejecter for whom there may be hope anyway. So this promise of grace and hope, even in the midst of our own failures, I think that's one of the things the film says. There, there are questions of how do you contextualize the gospel? You know, these are questions that are still before us, I mean, really every day, whether you live in a suburb or you're in Japan in the 21st century, these are questions we've got to ask. And, and that happens anywhere. Christianity confronts culture. And this is just a very stark and, and visceral reminder of that truth. And so you, you just have to ask. And, and I, I'm walking out going, like, what idolatries in my own culture are inhospitable to the Christian gospel? And I think that you, you see the persecution and the, uh, the resistance in the film, and it should make you think about those things. It should make you think about, uh, what, is there a lacking cultural awareness in how I share the gospel and how I think and pray for others, um, other aspects of the life of Christ that that make a stronger connection to the spiritual longings of my culture, or aspects of the life of Christ that may make a stronger connection to another culture. These are things we have to think through, and I think that the the thinking viewer will go in and come out with a greater understanding and clarity around these questions, and and that is incredibly valuable. Yeah, and even the question, is my Christianity more Western and American, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or is it actually authentic and biblical? And in sort of trying to figure out <laughs> what it is, I think that it forces you to kind of deal with that in your heart. And, um, and it, it's a film you have to pay attention to. Like there are details and there yes. are nuances and there are lines at the very end of this film that if you miss that I feel like you could walk away with a maybe even a negative view of Christianity thinking, oh, this film is about – you know, losing faith or something more like that. But I, I think in the end, it is a film, of, as Kyle was saying, about grace. And yes. if I'm understanding right, Endo was even criticized for that very thing in writing this book, that mm-hmm. it was too grace heavy and that it, this really idea that there is grace upon grace upon grace for the believer and, and that Christ will not forsake you. So um, I guess let's just let's just end with this. Would, would you guys, how would you encourage our people and those listening to, to go see this film? What would you say to them if they're thinking about it? Oh, I would think for any, any older teenager or Christian adult, I think this is an essential film. 
I really do. I think that it, it leads you into questions that we all must consider uh, of our own walk before Christ. Please do not Please do not get distracted by, you know, like Kyle mentioned, you know, some of the, like the, the iconography and those kinds of things. Um, get drawn into the story and consider, like as all great art would ask us to do, what do you do with these questions in your own life and living before the Lord? So in, in that, I think it's an essential uh, piece of art for the Christian to interact with. The novel and the film. Uh, I would say both are equally excellent. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Thanks for the conversation, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. If there's anything you heard us talk about on the show today, you can find out more information on our website. On our next episode, we'll be discussing domestic abuse with counselor and covenant member Summer Vinson. See you next time. God bless. God bless.